This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We're going to turn to God's Word this morning. I want you to come with me away back to Genesis uh, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abraham, Abram uh, passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Let's just stop there for a moment. We'll read a little further uh, presently. The story of Lot. title of this message is Lot, the Worldly Believer. And the story of Lot is the story of a righteous man who got it wrong. It's the story of a believer who lived his life as a perpetual backslider. A good man who wanted to live for God, but wanted to live for the world at the same time. And discovered to his cost that it just doesn't work. The Apostle Paul said, These things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so all of these things are written to warn us, to exhort us, to tell us certain things. In chapter 12, Abraham, and I'll call him Abraham from now on because I can't switch between Abram and Abraham, so we all know who we're talking about. Chapter 12, Abraham obeyed the voice of God, he did the call of God. He went out looking for a city whose builder and maker uh, was God. He took with him Sarah, his wife, his nephew, Lot. And although it doesn't say in that particular chapter, but the one before that, he took with him Terah, his father also, who died in Haran a little later. And they took this long journey uh, north from Ur of the Chaldees, uh, and all the way across the Fertile Crescent, 
uh, as far as almost Damascus and then all the way down south to Canaan. And when they got to Canaan, then they discovered there was a great famine in the land. And so they spent uh, some time in Egypt uh, during that period. Now, Romans 4.3, Paul says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That's a simple statement, but it's very profound. When you consider the situation that Abraham was in, he lived in a pagan land, in a pagan city. Everybody he knew was a pagan, including himself. But somehow, in the midst of all of that, God touched this man's heart. Hallelujah. And he became a true believer in the one true living God. And that changed his whole life. And it changed the whole journey of his life. And at 75 years of age, he took a massive step of faith, obeying the Lord to go out, not knowing, Hebrews says, where he was going, but trusting God to guide him and lead him into the plan that God had got for him. He was 75 when he did this. It's amazing. What a man of faith. He was the father of faith. And so faith is something that's very profound to all of us. It's something that God gives to us and puts in our heart. Studdard Kennedy says that faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. He didn't know what the consequences would be. He was told to leave everything and everybody, everything he'd ever known all of his 75 years and to go out not knowing where he was going, not knowing the consequences, but he did it. And oftentimes, God calls us in our life of faith to do things for him. And we don't know what the consequences are going to be. Uh, Daniel, in spite of the consequences, which was the lion's den, stood tall in faith. The three Hebrew boys, in spite of the consequences of facing the fiery furnace, they stood tall in faith in God. And that's what God calls us to do, to stand tall in faith regardless of the consequences. And in these days that we live, there will be consequences. And so God calls us to stand in faith. So Abraham believed God. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. But in 2 Peter 2.8, Peter says that Lot was a righteous man. Somewhere also Lot, looking at his uncle Abraham, seeing his faith seeing his zeal, seeing his desire to serve the one true living God, he too believed in this God. And so he became known as a righteous man. I remember in those days, there was no churches, there was no synagogue, there was no temple. <laughs> there was nothing. Where they lived, nothing. It was just naked, rugged faith, believing in the one God. And so Lot was a believer. He didn't live like a believer, but he was a believer nonetheless. And both of these men became very wealthy. 
But also in the process of time, there was a terrible dispute rose up between them and Lot began to make choices and make decisions that were not good. That were wrong choices and wrong decisions that led him down a wrong path, even though he was a righteous man, even though he was a believer in those terms. But he did entirely the wrong things. And so it's important for us to learn uh, these lessons. It tells us here now in chapter 12, we didn't read this, but from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, whenever they went down to Egypt. Now, even though Abraham was a great man of faith and he was a righteous man, a godly, godly man, but yet he also made a mistake in going to Egypt. It would seem the natural thing to do because there was a great famine in the land of Canaan. But had he have said, God, you led me here. I obeyed you. I have come here. And in spite of this famine, I will stay here because you will take care of me. God took care of Elijah during a three-year drought, didn't he? Even he had to get the ravens to feed him, but he did it. But Abraham went to Egypt now, Egypt in the Bible is always, ever symbolic of the world. You go up to Jerusalem, but you go down to Egypt. And it was a mistake. And it cost him. And the first thing he did was, he lied. If you read that story, his wife, who was a pensioner, but she was the most beautiful pensioner in the whole country, <laughs> She must have been a fabulously looking beautiful woman. And he got frightened. And he says, the Egyptians, if they see you and they know you're my wife, they'll just kill me and have you. But if they say, if, I, if we tell them you're my sister, then it'll spare my life. That's not very romantic, is it? <laughs> he wasn't very gallant doing that. But he did it. And he lied. And there was consequences to that. Uh, the Lord, whenever Pharaoh began to have designs on Sarah, then the Lord sent plagues against him. And then he found out, and he kicked them out of Egypt. But something else happened that's not in the script there. Something else happened. Whenever they left, they left with a lot of goods. And they left with some servants. And one of those maid servants was Hagar, the Egyptian. And that was an expensive mistake he made going to Egypt because Hagar, you know the story of Hagar that, that caused such dysfunction within that family. In fact, the ramifications of that is still going on in the Middle East to this day. But anyway, after their period in Egypt, uh, they eventually had to leave in chapter 13, it says, Then Abraham, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord." Lot also, who went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. And so, both of them now have become extremely wealthy. 
And now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And so Abraham said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. That's the first time brethren is ever mentioned in Scripture, by the way. And here they are squabbling. Now you would have thought, wouldn't you, that Lot being the junior in this partnership, and Abraham being the man of faith, and the most godly man, you would have thought that Lot would have been the one who would have went to Abraham and said, look, this is not right. Let's pray about this. Let's work this out because the Canaanites and the Perizzites are watching us. But he didn't. Abraham was the one who took the initiative. He was the one who saw what was happening and greatly concerned him, particularly in front of the world he was watching on. And so Abraham said, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now at that point, Lot should have said to Abraham, I know this is difficult. I know there's strife. I know there's problems. I know things are tight here in the land. But the last thing in the world I want to do is separate from you and join with the Canaanites and the Perizzites. See, all along he's making wrong choices here. He's not a very spiritual man. He's a righteous man. He's a believer, but he's not acting very spiritual. And he's about to move into a disastrous situation, and he doesn't even see it. And so, you take the left, I'll take the right. You take the right, I'll take the left. And Lot lifted his eyes, verse 10, he lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. That's a telling phrase. He saw it like the land of Egypt. You see, that period in Egypt did something to Lot. Egypt is the symbol of the world, and the world began to creep into his spirit. And he began to see everything as the world sees things. And he looked out over the plain of Jordan, that great fertile area, and all he could think about, this is just like Egypt. This is what I want. This will do me. And it was a big, big mistake. Somebody said that Abraham got Lot out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of Lot. G.H. Morrison, that great old preacher of old, said it only took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. The world has got a powerful influence on all of us, and we have to have our defenses up knowing that that it doesn't get in. Because when it gets in, 
It's not going to do us any good. And so he looked and he saw this land, like the land of Egypt. And Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Hmm. Notice he's getting further and further and further away from the people of God, from the righteous people. And he's getting closer and closer and closer to this world and to the wickedness of this world. And he pitches his tent even as far as Sodom. Then the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Did you notice how many times it says that Abraham built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord? You don't find that a lot. Not once does it say Lot ever built an altar. Not once does it say he called upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because that worldliness, that spirit of this world had got in on him. And he saw everything through the eyes of what this world sees. And he walked by sight, not by faith. Abraham walked by faith and not by sight. And so we're called to do the same, to walk by faith and not by sight. We're not going to read all of that next chapter, just to say this. That when he was... In the cities of the plain, there was five cities. Sodom and Gomorrah was just two of them. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And in verse 12 of the next chapter, actually he says he dwelt in Sodom. But what happened was that five kings, sorry, four kings came against the five kings in the plain of the Jordan. And there was a war. And the kings of the plain of the Jordan lost the war. And many were taken captive. And Lot and his wife and his four daughters and his two sons-in-law, they were all taken captive to be slaves in Mesopotamia. Can you imagine what he must have felt? Here he is now in chains on his hands and on his feet. And by his side is his wife also in chains and his whole family in chains behind him. And they're dragging them, taking them to this terrible fate in Mesopotamia where they'll be sold as slaves. What's going to happen to his daughters? What's going to happen to his wife? He hardly can bear think about that. Must have been awful. And here they are being marched along and the drivers would crack their whips. And it would be a horrible, desperate time. It doesn't pay to live as the world lives, if you're a believer. Sadly, there are consequences. And he's now beginning to feel the consequences. 
And it says in verse 12 they also, of chapter 14, they also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And if you'd read on, you'd see that the word got to Abraham. Remember, he now is up in the, the hills, up in the mountains. He's not in the valley of the plain. But word got back to him. And what does he do? He gathers together 318 of his highly trained men and others with him. And they went against these captors. And they fought them and won that battle and brought back Lot and his whole family and his goods and many of those Sodomites. He brought them back to Sodom. Saved them alive. And that, by the way, is where, if you read on that, you'll see that's where Abraham met Melchizedek, that great priest king, and gave him tithes of all he possessed. And would not take even a shoelace of the king of Sodom. Wanted nothing to do with him. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, after that happened, after God spared Lot and his whole family, surely Lot would have learned his lesson. You would imagine at that very moment the thing that he would want to do would never, ever, ever go back to Sodom again. But to go to the safety of Abraham and the righteous people. But he didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't do that. He immediately, unbelievably, he immediately went back to Sodom. <laughs> Worldliness had so consumed him, he's so blind now, he goes back to where he had been captured and been taken captive. And he went back there. And so the two of them are apart. Abraham's up there. He's down here. Abraham has his altar. He's taught to the Lord. Lot's down there in the city of Sodom. And if you read on, he's now at the very gate of Sodom. He's now an elder in the city. He's now a politician. And probably a high-ranking one at that. But here he is, and he's in Sodom. And then, if you skip to chapter 18, and this is where the Lord and two angels come to Abraham and Sarah, and they tell Sarah that she's going to give birth. And Sarah well, she tell, they tell Abraham about Sarah, and Sarah overhears it, and she laughs. She couldn't believe it. And then they said, are you laughing? He says, no, I didn't laugh. He says, yeah, you did laugh. We heard you. She just couldn't believe it. But it was true, and we all know the story. She did have Isaac. And so after they told that, and after they had eaten, in, chap in chapter uh, 18 verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely come, become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order 
that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham said, Indeed now I am but dust and ashes, and I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of the forty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. He says, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he says, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now, notice two or three things here. Notice the mercy of God. Even though this was a wicked, unrighteous city. And even though what was being done in that city was an abomination to God, terrible in his sight, but yet he was willing to spare it for the sake of the righteous who were in it. That's the mercy of God. God is a very merciful God, isn't he? And so Abraham starts a countdown, and he stops at 10. You may wonder why in the world did he stop at 10? Well, Abraham probably figured in his mind, well, let me count up. There's Lot, there's his wife, there's his four daughters, and I know that two of them was married, but it's been a good while since I've seen Lot and his family, so I'm assuming that his other two daughters are married also, so that would make ten. The reality was, out of even that ten, only Lot would have been counted as righteous. There'd only been one. But do you know what? If Abraham had counted down to just one, if there's just one righteous person in that city, God would have still said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the one righteous person. But Abraham stopped. Now, what else does that tell us? That tells us that Lot, in all of the time he was in Sodom, 
in all of the influence he thought he would have, in the great social position he was in, the status he held as an elder at the gate, his influence was zero for God. Not only did he not even influence anybody in the city for God, but he hadn't even influenced his own family. And that's what worldliness does. It leaves us without influence, not only to the world, but even to our own family. And you'll see that a bit in a moment or two. Isn't that sad? He was a righteous man. He was a believer. He could have been salt and light there, but he didn't go there to be salt and light. He didn't go into that situation to impact them for the living God. He didn't. He went in there because he saw it was like the land of Egypt. He saw the fertile plain. He saw this is good for business. This is great for my herds and my flock. He never thought once, well, what will it be like for my children? It's good for my cows and my goats and my sheep, but what will it be like for my kids? Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. No doubt talking about the business of the day. No doubt talking about what laws should be passed and so forth. And no doubt talking about the status that they held there. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. Eastern hospitality. But more than that, he didn't know who these two were. But by the look of them, they looked mighty important. There was something about their demeanor he knew they were strangers. They were not from Sodom. So naturally, as an Eastern man, he would want to show hospitality. Naturally, as a leader of the city, he should do that. But there was something different about these two. So he said, stay the night with me, and then early in the morning, you can be on your way. Look what happens. And they said, no, no. But we will spend the night in the open square. Hmm. But he insisted strongly. He knew what went on in the open square. In Second Peter, listen to what Peter says. Second Peter says about him. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making an example to those who afterwards who would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He knew what went on in the open square. He had seen it with his own eyes, and it wasn't good. 
And he did not want these two strangers to be caught in that open square. Here's a man who's lived here for years. Here's a man who's seen what was going on in the city. Here's a man who knew that the whole city was given over to this. They had passed laws that was legal. But he did nothing about it. Now he's being tested. They says, no, we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. And so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, every age group, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight. Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And I don't have to spell out what that means. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Do not do this. Don't shame me. (laughs) Too late for that, Lot. Too late. And then verse 8, which is just about unbelievable. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Unbelievable. The depths this man has stooped to. wonder what his daughters thought of that. Shocking, isn't it? But you see, worldliness leads believers to do things they never thought they would ever do. But it leads them down that path of compromise and compromise and compromise. And here he is about to compromise even his own daughters. And they said, stand back. And then they said, this one, speaking of Lot, this one came to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. (laughs) Don't judge us. That was their cry. Sound familiar? Don't judge us. You can't judge us. Please. This one came to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they pressed hard against the man Lot. And they came near to break down the door. But the men, that's the two angels, the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. This is the second time this man's been rescued. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. Now again, you would think when these people were smitten with blindness, you would think surely the fear of God would have come upon them, but it didn't. They had no fear of God. Struck them with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Hmm. Hmm. Then the man said to Lot, 
Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them that has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. No influence, no respect, no credibility. Even when he understood and realized and finally could be say, caught himself on, too late. To his sons-in-law, it was just a joke. He was a joke. No credibility. That's what worldliness does. It leaves us with no credibility to the world. They really, in the world, hate hypocrites, don't they? They'd rather you be out and out as this kind of half-in, half-out business. But when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, what is there to linger about? Get out, fast. While he lingered, the man took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. The very angels had to grab them by the hands and trail them out of that place. It had such a hold on them. And they brought them out and set them outside the city. And so it came to pass when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. What do you think is going to happen if you stay in the plane? I can't even think straight here. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and there is a, a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overflow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the, the, that city was called Zor, which just means little city. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. You see, Lot's wife was so enamored with Sodom, 
She so imbibed the spirit of Sodom that everything she owned was there. Her house, her jewelry, her goods, her friends, the cafes she used to frequent, the shops she used to shop in, it was all there. And she couldn't resist just having one last look. And it ended up, it was her last look. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where her heart was, in Sodom. She used to sing the old song, I left my heart in San Francisco. She left her heart in Sodom. And she looked back. That was the last look she ever took. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. God remembered Abraham and he spared Lot. Lot was spared because of Abraham's prayers. Hmm. I wonder how many people has been spared because of the prayers of somebody else. Even though they'd backslid, even they weren't living like a believer, even though they imbibed the worldliness, but yet somebody's prayers spared them at the end of the day. Because God is a merciful and he's a gracious and he's a good God, isn't he? Let's finish with this last, sadly unsavory little bit of the story. And Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, which where he should have been in the first place, never should have left the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come in to us, as is the custom of the, all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when he, she lay down or when she arose, because he was drunk. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to, to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make, drink, make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger rose, lay with him, did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son, they called his name Moab, he is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ammai. And he is the father of Ammon to this day. The Ammonites and the Moabites forever became the enemies of Israel. No good can come out of compromise with this world. Only tragedy only sadness, only heartache, only disaster. 
No wonder the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world. Moffat says, do not allow the world to shape you into its mold. Let's not be conformed to it. Let's be different. If we want to make a difference in this world, we have to be different than the world. And tragically and sadly, too many times I see today, and it happens in every generation, where the church has become very worldly in many ways to the point you can hardly tell the difference. And it doesn't make any difference. Because we're supposed to be different. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's a clear call to separate ourselves. Not isolate ourselves from the world, because we've got to be salt and light to the world, but to separate ourselves, to make a difference. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And sadly, Lot... The story of Lot is as a man who wanted to live for God but wanted to live for the world at the same time and he discovered too late that the consequences are great. So let's live for the Lord only. Let's separate ourselves from the world and live for Christ. Let's be an influence to the world. <laughs> let's be salt and light to the world but let's not be like the world. Today we're supposed to be say, well, we have to be relevant. The world doesn't listen to us, so we need to be relevant. No, we need to be believers. We need to be different in the world. Otherwise, we'll never be relevant. The only relevance we want to be is biblical. That's what we want to be. Scriptural. Living for Jesus. Living for the Lord. Shining our light. Being salt and light. That's being relevant, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, your word says that these things are written for our admonition, particularly in these last days that we live in. So help us, Lord, to be believers, not a name only, but to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that is relevant to the kingdom that we live in. Thank you, Lord, that you've put faith in each of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we walk by that faith and not by our sight. Help us to do that every day of our lives. That we may honor you and live for you and walk with you and work together in your kingdom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.